All right, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kozlowski. Uh, joining me tonight, Shane Stein. How you doing, Shane? I'm doing all right, Matt. Good to be here. Yeah, it's been a little while since we uh, got together and talked baseball. Uh, Kyle had another commitment tonight, so he couldn't join us. So um, we are waving the Red Triangle flag between the two of us here tonight. Uh, it's Thursday, March 24th. Uh, we are watching some March Madness Sweet 16 action while we podcast here. Um, nothing real exciting going on right now, so maybe we'll be able to spend some time just talking baseball, and we'll catch the games later. Um, first, I want to say, find us on Twitter at Red Triangle 23 um, We're also on SoundCloud and iTunes. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, leave us a five-star rating if you like what we're doing. Um, if not, give us some uh, constructive criticism, things we could do better, things you guys would like us to do. Um, otherwise, let's get right into our topic tonight. Um, we're talking bold predictions at this point in the season. It's something that we did a lot with our football podcast in the fall, and um, it's something that I kind of wanted to bring back to talk about bold predictions right now for the whole season. Um, on football, we did week-to-week bold predictions, so... Shane, how bold did you get in your predictions without revealing them yet? Uh, there's a couple that I know in football season I, I like to go a little drastic. I made, made some uh, some bo- real bold stuff. Um, I kind of went a little bit of both here. I, I went some that I could definitely, I'm sure other people will see happening, and then there's some that um, I think especially you, and I know if Kyle was here, you're going to shake your head at and uh, probably give me a little grief for so. I kind of got a little bit of a mixed bag here on mine. Um, like to keep things, keep you guys guessing. All right, well, we'll see how your bold predictions go. Kyle was kind enough, even though he can't join us, to send in his three bold predictions, so I guess we can comment on them. Um, I guess I'll do them in order that I see them most likely happening. <clears throat> First one would be, <clears throat> um, he gives a little shout-out to an outfielder he traded me in the offseason, Gerardo Parra being a top 15 outfielder. Um, I like this one. I think it's definitely possible. Um, To me, it seems the way he does all the things possible to become a top 15 outfielder. He hits for a decent average. He runs a little bit. He should score some runs in that Colorado lineup. He should drive in some runs because right now he's been hitting fifth most of the spring training. Um, so hitting behind guys like Arenado, um, LeMahieu, Blackman, um, he should be able to drive some runs in, and you know he st- runs on the bases a little bit. He'll steal some bags for you. So he fills up a lot of categories. So I do think there is an opportunity for Parra to do enough to get into the top fifteen. What do you think? Yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one. We we spent a lot of time I feel like talking about Parra here in the uh, early going of the season last month or so um, obviously with him being on your squad this year we probably boosted it I could see this happening as well I'm he's just the kind of guy that fills up a lot of categories just, just like you said and if last year was any indication of what we see with if he gets a full season of play with uh, the move to Colorado and, and the new surroundings and obviously the friendly ballpark uh, that I can't I don't see a reason why this this isn't a possibility obviously Right now in the preseason, he's ranked somewhere around the 40th, 40th range for outfielders, so pretty bold prediction here by Kyle. But um, I think the change of scenery and being in that lineup and batting in the middle of the lineup in Coors Field is never a bad thing. So, <clears throat> Yeah, we've seen what Coors Field has done for Charlie Blackman, a guy who I think we would consider outside of Coors Field would have a an average, maybe to above average skill set. I think Parr is a similar type player. You know, last year... 14 homers, 14 stolen bases, and 547 at-bats. I think that's his baseline for this season now in Colorado. I think he's going to play every day. Um, You know, his defense is what really, I think, is going to keep him in the lineup. But then the offense gets a boost, too. What do you think his ceiling could be this season? Well, by no means do I think he's going to jump into a, a top 10 outfielder. Um, I just don't think the power-speed <clears throat> combo is enough. But the fact that he does both things okay is, is what uh, gives him that shot of, of being in that top 15, like Kyle predicted. 
Um, I think in the end, he, he more ends up maybe maybe top 25 is more of a realistic approach for Parra, but I don't see a reason where he can't be somewhere between 10 and 15 in both home runs and RBIs just because he was last year. Yeah, I stolen bases, sorry. Yeah, I don't think he'll run more. I mean, 14 stolen bases, 15 is probably a ceiling. He's 28. You know, he's getting close to that magic number of 30 that you've kind of targeted for guys stealing bases. Um, but I think we have a chance to maybe see a 20 home run guy here. Um, but I also think his slug is going to go way up because I think he maybe gets some more doubles and triples in the spacious outfield here at a course field. So, you know, I could see him hitting close to 300, maybe 17 homers. Maybe he gets up to like 70 RBIs. He's a candidate for 90 plus runs. Um, I have big hopes for him this year. Obviously, he's one of my keepers in our big league. So, that's yeah. that's what I think his ceiling is. Yeah, you invested a lot on him in the offseason. And uh, I think I'm a little, you're a little more bullish on him than I am. But uh, if things work out the way that you're hoping, I, th- I think it could pay off for you this season. All right, so Kyle's second most likely bold prediction in my mind is um, Miguel Cabrera will drop outside the top five in first baseman. Um, you know, I think there's obviously a chance that this happens. Uh, you know, age is becoming a risk with Miggy now. The batting average, I think, is always pretty safe. I mean, he's a bet. He's a good. He's about as good a bet as it is to hit over 300. I think last year he hit 337. Um, the BABIP is always high for him. I don't know if that sticks necessarily because there's no speed, obviously, with him. You know, maybe he starts to get a little more unlucky. Maybe he starts to have a gradual decline like Pujols. I could see him finishing outside the top five because of guys like Rizzo and Goldschmidt, I think, are locks to be in the top five. I think I'm big on Chris Davis this year. I think he'll probably finish ahead of Miggy. What do you think about this one? This one, this one's tough for me. It, it's really hard to envision Miguel Cabrera not being a top five player <clears> at his <throat> position, let alone all, in all of baseball. He's pretty much been there for the better part of the last decade. Um, I think without Kyle being here to, to explain where, why he went this way, I have to feel like he thinks the injury concern is, is major with, with Miguel this year. And just looking at it, I mean, obviously Goldschmidt and Rizzo, we both have pretty highly rated we feel like they can certainly be ahead of Miguel Cabrera at the end of the year I'm just looking for three other names I guess he he's going with Jose Abreu um Chris Davis and I guess he's going with Votto since I was he's so high Votto, on the yeah. draft um so I mean I could see those five names but I think it's going to take a Cabrera injury for uh for that to happen so which is certainly could happen with the the rising age but yeah. I think that's what's going to have to happen here Edwin's another guy I guess that could finish ahead of Miggy if he stays healthy um, but after Goldschmidt, Edwin, Rizzo, Votto, Chris Davis, and Abreu, I don't see anyone that's likely to finish ahead of Miggy. I mean, maybe Adrian Gonzalez. Um, but other than that, it's going to take someone having a really breakout season and or a Miggy injury for them to get up ahead of him. But I think there's a chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, without an injury, I, I just like you said, I don't see him finishing any... Any lower than sixth, so I guess that's what makes it a bold prediction here for Kyle. So I think he's banking on banking on injury. All right, and then his final one, which I think might be the boldest of them all, Socrates Brito will win the NL Rookie of the Year. Now Kyle just picked up Socrates Brito in our 16-team league today, so he must see something with him. I'm more concerned about at bats than anything. Um, I know Pollock's a little banged up right now, but we still have A.J. Pollock, Yasmani Tomas, and David Peralta in the outfield. I mean, maybe he's thinking that Tomas is just not going to do anything, which I guess is a potential because we didn't see much from him last year. But I don't really see this one with guys like Corey Seager in the National League and um, some pitchers like Giolito and Glasnow who are on the very brink of coming up. Yeah, this one's a, a very bold prediction. Obviously, Kyle saw something I saw. He picked him up today. Um, this is a guy I thought about drafting in our in our draft, uh, both in the major league and the minor league draft. Uh, I thought about taking a chance on. It's just 
I'm not really sure what's going to happen out there in Arizona right now in that situation. So if Tomas is a complete bust, which we saw last year, might be a possibility. Um, I owned him all, all year last year, and it's really frustrating. It was a frustrating year to own him. Um, and if he starts out the year this year like he did last year, maybe maybe uh, Brito gets more at-bats and, and it takes off. But I, I really find it hard to go away from Corey Seager for the NL Rookie of the Year right now, in my opinion. Yeah, you're really high on Seager. Um, so I think that he's definitely the favorite to win the National League Rookie of the Year. <clears throat> um, there's three guys that are in the outfield in the National League that are getting some buzz right now. Um, all similar type players. I think Brito, um, Keon Broxton from Milwaukee, and Jabari Blash for San Diego. I'm wondering how much of the hype that these three guys are getting is that they have pretty cool names. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, you see a guy like Socrates Brito and people start talking about him, and I feel like if his name was like John Jones, I, I don't think he would be as exciting. And maybe that's just m me thinking into it too much. No, that's definitely uh, a, an interesting uh, point that you bring up. I mean, Socrates Brito is a fairly unknown name before <laughs> just maybe the last couple of weeks. I mean, uh, someone that you really haven't even heard of coming up in the minor league ranks. But I don't know. Um, I don't know that your theory really plays out. Maybe it does. But for me, I, I just don't know that the playing time is going to be enough for him if, he, if he's going to get enough at-bats. And I just think that Seager's a far superior player and talent, then uh, it's going to be tough to track him down if he has the year that I think we're all expecting. All right, so um, let's get into my bold predictions next. Let you stew on yours for a little longer. I know you got some written down here, but um, my first one is Ben Paulson, top 10 first baseman this season. So we talked about the first base ranks already, and as we said, there's seven guys who I think are pretty clear at the top, and then you got a guy like Buster Posey who is eligible at first base, and I think he's pretty clearly in the top eight. But I like Paulson. Um, he did some nice things last year. <clears throat> I'm trying to find him right now in the rankings. So last year, he hit 277 with a 326 on base, 11 homers, 49 RBIs, and 325 at-bats. I think there's 25 homer potential here. If he gets regular ABs, um, he hits right-handed pitching really well. He's on the strong side of a platoon, platoon with uh, Mark Reynolds. So Paulson's a guy that I've been talking to you about for a while, and I think there's just potential for him to put up a season like Justin Morneau did two seasons ago, I think, with Colorado. Well, clearly I like this one because uh, I went ahead and drafted him. Um, Going to slot him into either my corner infield spot or – or my utility spot. Um, I, I hear everything you're saying here with Paulson. The The concern is obviously, is he going to get enough playing time against lefties? Um, certainly the guy can hit the ball against right-handed pitching, and the power the power can be can be nice from that side of the – when uh, when he faces those kind of arms. But is he going to see enough playing time when, when they face left-handed pitching, and how is he going to do against it? Um, if he can hold his own against it, maybe he takes over that job full-time, and, and there's not really a platoon anymore, but – I don't know. I think I think you're a little more bullish on Paulson than I am, and even considering that I drafted him. But I could certainly see that. <clears throat> we talked about this in the first base podcast. I mean, after that first five or six names, I mean, you could see a bunch of different guys take the next leap into that top ten area. And why not Paulson hitting a good part? And obviously, you're high on the Rockies this year. Yeah, there's some other guys I like at first base. Um, you know that I think could creep into the top ten. A guy like Justin Bohr. We talked about him a lot. In the first base podcast, um, you know, I, I'm higher on Will Myers than most this year. I think he's more similar to Parr in the sense that he's going to fill up a lot of different categories, um, which maybe some other first basemen won't, which may elevate his first base value. Um, I like Pedro Alvarez. I think he does well in Baltimore. Same, I actually like Trumbo as well. I, I don't know um, what he's going to do, but I think the consensus have come down on him when his talent and stats have really kind of stayed the same. And a guy who's getting some hype here lately is Brandon Belt. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking highly about him that they think he's maybe turned a corner here. Um, so I think there's some guys along with Steady Eddie, Adrian Gonzalez here at first base that maybe 
prevent this from happening, but I think this is a position where we're going to see a lot of injuries too. There's some older guys here in the back, in the middle, you know, 15, 20 range, like Teixeira, um, Ryan Zimmerman, Pujols, guys like that. So I think there's opportunity to move up. Well, let me just go down the list here, and you tell me which ones he, he's going to finish ahead of. Um, obviously, you got Goldschmidt, Abreu, Rizzo, Cabrera, Edwin, Davis, Votto, Posey. You don't think he's going to catch those guys? No, so, I don't so think we're so. looking at the next the next tier of guys. You got guys like Hosmer, Agon, Freddie Freeman, Pujols. You throw Belton in there. Which of those guys is he going to finish ahead of? Well, so Freeman and Hosmer are um, pluses in the sense that they do they fill a couple different categories. Um, you know, the average is pretty steady with those guys. And you're not really worried about Freeman and Hosmer bottoming out. The thing that they don't do that I think guys like um, Duda and Pujols and Teixeira do is they don't, they're not really candidates to hit more than 25 home runs. I mean, Hosmer's projected for 18. Freeman's projected for 23 home runs. Um, so I think Paulson has some power potential to do a little better than those guys in that sense. So I like, I like the power production from Paulson. That's what I'm kind of looking for at the corner infield spot that guys like Hosmer and Freeman don't do. So that that's kind of my stance on first base. You know, when you go out and get a first baseman, you're looking for somebody that I think has the potential to hit 30 home runs. And I'm not sure that guys like Hosmer and Freeman do. So they, they may finish ahead of him, but I think you'll be happier with what you're going to get from Paulson. Yeah, I like, I like what you just said. I can definitely see uh, those things happen. Hopefully, for my sake, uh, it ends up working out that way. <clears throat> All right, so my my second bold prediction here, um, Ben Zobrist will lead the National League in runs scored. So, it's no secret that the Cubs have the best team on paper um, of all the teams in the National League. So... I like Zobrist's ability to do a bunch of different things. I think he's going to hit towards the top of that Cubs lineup. So I think guys like Rizzo and Brian will have the ability to drive him in enough. I think he's probably a candidate to maybe hit 15 to 20 home runs in Wrigley Field. So I think he gets some runs there. Um, I just like, I'm high on Zobrist this year. So me predicting that he leads the NL and runs scored, it's probably not that bold, but it could be. Yeah, this just seems like a really good situation for Zobers, doesn't it? It seems like almost a perfect situation for him. Uh, we've done a lot of talk about it. I mean, a veteran guy that, that kind of knows his role on a team where he can just be kind of that veteran leadership guy in that Cubs locker room. And it just seems like he's a guy that gets on base. He knows, he knows how to play. And he's been the guy in the past. I talked about it, how he's kind of been expected to do a little bit too much, I feel like. And now he knows he doesn't really have to in this lineup. You just can be a table setter, do be the guy that does a little bit of everything for them. And I don't see a reason why he can't be that guy, especially if he's at the top of that lineup. Obviously, he's going to have to be at the top to, to meet your expectations here. Um, but, yeah, it seems like a good fit, good fit in Chicago for Ben Zobrist. Yeah, so there's some guys that are projected to score over 100 runs in the National League. Um, guys like Bryce Harper, obviously we're expecting him to score a ton of runs. Um, Goldschmidt and Pollock at the top of Arizona's lineup. Those guys are on base a ton. Um, good wheels out of both of them, so they can they can score some runs. And then a guy like Matt Carpenter, you know, he always is on base and scores a ton of runs. So those are guys that Zobris is going to have to contend with. But I just see so much upside for Zobris' skill set in this Cubs lineup. I will say the one thing that that might put a little damper on it. I don't, I don't know how much it comes into effect, but I, th I think the speed aspect of Zobris's game is, is pretty much over. Um, I don't know how much he has left in the tank there. So, I mean, just taking those extra bases to get into scoring position might be a little bit of a stretch. Might cost him a few runs, but 
I definitely, I, I think he'll definitely be in the top ten. Let's put it that way. Uh, I definitely, as long as he stays healthy and plays the year, I mean, I, I definitely see him in the top ten. Yeah, Zobris projected for 92 runs scored. Just going through this list here, um, one that's really catching me off guard, Kyle Schwarber projected for 108 runs scored. Um, I'm assuming they think that he's going to hit second in his projections. And if he does hit second in that lineup, you know, there is some definite possibility for him to score that many runs. But I just think Zobris is a better fit for that two-hole. Um, one thing, I guess, is a little concerning. You know, Javier Baez is still lurking around. Joe Madden's a guy that likes to move people in and out. Um, so maybe Baez gets some starts. And maybe they slide Russell over to second for a couple of years. I don't know. Um, maybe Zobris doesn't play 160 games, and that could hurt and hurt this projection. But Well, I, I can certainly see a scenario where Zobris maybe gets a few more days off than, than uh, maybe you're expecting, and he, he doesn't play the full 160. Maybe he sits somewhere in the high 130s, 140 area. Um, in that case, he, he's probably not going to lead the NL in runs, but... I think by the end of the year, what we're going to find out is they're going to need him to be that guy for them. Um, every good team, everyone's expecting the Cubs to be pretty good this year, but every good team is going to need that stable force, that veteran force, that someone that can that can lead those young guys in that locker room. I think Zobris is going to be that guy. He has he has postseason hair written all over him. I think it's just he. They're going to need a veteran, I think, to produce in the postseason for them, and I think. You know, Zobris could be that guy. I hate I hate talking about the Cubs so much, but um, all right. My next bold prediction: only one Mets pitcher, starting pitcher, will finish in the top twenty in starting pitchers rankings. So Harvey and Degrom right now are the only ones really ranked in the top twenty. But I think a lot of people are thinking Cindergard also has a shot to get into that top twenty. Um, my thought process here is. I'm worried about some regression with these guys. Um, the outfield situation, I mean, we saw today in a spring training game, Yoannis Cespedes just stood there arguing with an umpire while a ball was trapped under the fence and gave up an inside-the-park home run to, I think, A.J. Reed. Um, so I, I think that the outfield defense, he's not a center fielder. That's going to end up hurting these guys a little bit. It may not be a lot. Um, big strikeout potential, but I think Harvey's the one that's going to finish in the top 20. Um, Cindergard, I'm just, I don't know what my big, my biggest concern with him is the injury. He throws the hardest out of all those guys. He's the only one that hasn't had Tommy John surgery yet. So I think that, is what I'm concerned about with Cindergard. I'm also worried about maybe an innings cap on him. I mean, I don't think that they'll cap him, but I think that they will be more careful with him. And my concern about DeGrom, I mean, we've seen him go from a guy who was really unheralded as a prospect to a guy that's now throwing like 95-96 in the eighth inning of games. And I just think there's a wear and tear that comes with a pitcher like that. Um, so I like Harvey to be the best Met starting pitcher this year um, and I don't think it's going to be that close I like Harvey to be the best Met pitcher as well um, I've, I've seen a lot of comparisons and I, a lot of talk about DeGrom maybe maybe being the next Tim Lincecum um, kind of similar builds just those lanky real skinny guys not a lot of weight behind them and somehow just thrown in the upper 90s um, how long can it last um, he feels like a guy that's just destined to break down I mean I watched him in the I mean, we all watched him in the postseason last year, and the guy's just throwing 97, 98, and it's just how long – how is this guy doing that? He's not that big of a guy. I mean, I don't know how long his body can take that toll. So I could, I could certainly see DeGrom maybe, maybe slowing down. I don't know that it's this year, but I, it, I certainly think it's on the way. Um, I think Syndergaard's going to jump into the top 20. Um, I think that he has the best stuff out of the Mets pitchers, maybe, maybe the best stuff in, in Major League Baseball. I mean – I saw him pitching in the postseason. That guy's throwing wiffle balls up there. There's off-speed stuff, and obviously the fastball's electric. So uh, I, I think Syndergaard takes the leap, and even even with an innings cap, maybe at the end of the year, I think he finishes in the top 20. Yeah, I'm, I think this prediction is also hinging on, a, on an injury. 
to to either Syndergaard or DeGrom, and then maybe just a little regression for the other one. Um, but I wanted to be bold, and you know the Mets are getting a lot of hype right now, so it's I think I think that this was one that I wanted to kind of take a stab at. I, I will say that I think the Nationals are the best team in the NL East. You know, I think a lot of people we've talked about them the last three years as being the favorite to win the World Series, let alone the National League. And I think, like I've talked about with guys like Dustin Pedroia, now that people are off them, I'm willing to get back on. So um, I do think the Nationals will win the National League East. Um, that seems to be uh, one thing where we, we usually agree on. You're always ahead of the ball on the – you love love going against the public feel. I mean, it's usually a smart way to go. Um, whenever the public really feels strong about something and someone's getting talked up and they're going to be great, especially in baseball – um, it's hard to live up to those expectations. The, the talent gap isn't really that great between teams, and it's really hard. It's hard to win Major League Baseball games. I mean, the, the talent level is very even, and it seems like everyone's really high on, on the Mets coming into this season off of, off of what happened last year. And I know we've talked about before, I really see maybe a possible disaster coming for, for New York this year. I think it could be a, be a bad year. Yeah, the other thing I want to say about the Nationals is, you know, the for the team that was projected to win so many games last year, I don't think they got worse. Um, they had Ben Revere, who's, I think, a nice replacement for Denard Span. They're similar style players. They lose Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond, um, but with the production they got from Desmond last year, or no, they add, they added Daniel Murphy. I'm sorry. They added Daniel Murphy, um, and he replaces Yunel Escobar at third base. And then... You know, they add a guy like um, Trey Turner to the mix this year. Um, I just think that a full year of Strasburg, I'm high on Strasburg this year. I think he finally breaks out. I just, I like what Washington's doing. I think Papelbon has a great year as a closer. I just don't think that the team that they're putting out this year is any worse than the team that was projected to <laughs> dominate um, baseball last year. So that's my reasoning for being high on the Nationals. No, I'm right there with you, but let me just pose this. If, if it doesn't work out this year in Washington, does that team maybe get blown up? I don't I don't know if they can ever blow it up because they want to do they they want to keep Bryce Harper in town. And I don't think Harper if they blow this team up, Harper has no chance of signing with them. He'll he'll just go somewhere else. Um so I think that they have to kind of keep going after it as long as he's still under his rookie contract um, until he becomes a free agent. And then if they don't sign him when he becomes a free agent, then they, they definitely blow it up. But, I mean, with guys like Scherzer and Strasburg and Harper, um, I, I can't see him blowing it up. I think that, you know, that top three alone puts him in the top six or seven in the National League just on those three guys alone. So... It's going to be interesting Interesting to see. Uh, I think, yeah, it definitely comes down to the Nationals and Mets, I feel like, in the, in the East, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm sick of people talking about the Marlins and buying into what they're doing. That's not going to happen, and the Braves and Phillies are um, just, they're not even trying to compete this year. So that's going to be a fun race to watch to see how that National League East shakes out this season. Um, moving on, my fourth bold prediction, Michael Brantley will be a top 10 outfielder. Um, this one, I think, is bold because of the injury concern that um, Brantley had at the start of the season. We saw him make his spring training debut this week. So I'm not saying he's going to be out there on opening day, but I think the people that originally were trying that in um, original drafts were getting him late, the target was maybe late May for him to come back. I think it's early May, worst case at this point now. So that's an extra month of baseball for Michael Brantley. Um, he's another guy that just does a lot of things really well. Um, his 2014 season, a little bit of an outlier. Um, you know, 200 hit season, 20 homers, 23 stolen bases. Last year in about 80 less, 80 less at bats. He only does 15 homers and 15 steals. Um. But, you know, he homered, I think, this week in a spring training game. And everybody's saying that he looks good. Uh, so, 
I'm back in on Michael Brantley. There's guys ahead of him in the projections right now who I just don't believe in. Um, guys like, I don't think Giancarlo Stanton stays healthy for the whole season, so I think that knocks him down. Um, love Joey Bats in the contract year, so I can't bump him down. Pollock's a little banged up right now, a little nervous about that. Um, Nelson Cruz, I think he falls down in a big way. Ryan Braun, I almost had a bold prediction on Braun not even playing 50 games this year. I'm a little worried about Braun. You know, he's had this lingering back issue from surgery in October. He still hasn't taken the field in the spring training game yet, so there's major concerns there. Um, Schwarber is ranked ahead of him. I've talked about my concerns about Schwarber playing enough to maintain um, his lofty projections. And then there's guys like Matt Kemp, who I'm not in on. Lorenzo Cain had a career year last year. I think he falls back to earth a little bit this season. And then the two guys right in front of Brantley are Joanna Cespedes and Justin Upton. And I think that those two um, are going to be busts this year compared to what their major league contracts were. So I think there's opportunity for Brantley to move way up the outfielder rankings. And I think he's going to be right around top 10. Yeah, I could certainly see this one happening. I mean, I think the injury last year was kind of kind of lingering for a while. It just kind of hurt his production. I mean, we saw what he did two years ago, and he's a 2020 guy that hit 300. Um, you do that, and you're probably going to be right around the top 10 at least. So, I mean, certainly the, the talent's there and the ability to be a top 10 player. He was a guy that was going in, what, the second round of draft last year. Yep. Um, so, I mean, obviously he has that kind of ability um, to get back to what he did in 2014. It could certainly happen. I mean... <clears throat> Outfield is pretty strong. I mean, there's a lot of good players, obviously. Um, but, yeah, top ten seems about right for this guy. Yeah, the other thing I think I want to talk about with Brantley, 137 games last year, so there was some injury issues. But the Indians' offense as a unit last year was pretty poor. They underachieved in a big way. Jan Gomes was a guy that people were expecting a lot out of. I expect that he'll have a bounce-back season this year. Um, Carlos Santana had a really bad season last year, I think. Um, so I think that guys like those two um, really hurt Brantley's counting numbers as far as runs and RBIs, and I think those two bounce back and kind of help elevate Brantley's counting numbers this year, and that'll also elevate his ranking. Yeah, I think you just made a good point that we really maybe don't even talk about enough is for some of these guys, these stats are, are dependent on what people around them do. I mean, you can't do it all by yourself, especially – for guys that don't hit a lot of home runs. I mean, so whether or not Michael Brantley is a top 10 outfielder is going to be dependent on what the guys around him in the lineup do. Do they drive him in enough? I mean, is he going to get enough, score enough runs to to be a top 10 guy? Is he going to get enough RBI opportunities to, to be that kind of guy? So, I mean, obviously you're, you're high on the Indians this year and you, you think it's going to get done. So if the guys around him are going to be able to elevate him to that level, I, I think that his talent alone is good enough to keep him in that in that top 10 area. Yeah, I am high on the Indians, and I, I thought a little bit about the AL Central and where I'm going to go with my um, predictions for that division as well, getting into what we talked about in the NL East. Um, I think it would be foolish at this point to go against the Royals, um, especially, you know, we get back to what the public's saying for them, and everyone's sleeping on them again this year, even though they just won the World Series. It sounds stupid, but... A lot of people are kind of talking about how they're going to fall back down to earth, and I think that they're just a really good baseball team, so I'm going to probably keep them in that first spot. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really decided where I stand yet on the White Sox and Indians, but I think both of them will be ahead of the Tigers. So, Interesting topic to bring up. I'd love to sit here and talk about it all night. Uh, maybe this is a bad comparison, but it just came to mind. I feel like the Royals are kind of like the Warriors, man basketball i mean they're just a really really good team and and i don't even know if people realize how good they are i mean they kind of just fly under the radar i mean obviously the warriors aren't flying under the radar anymore we know they're great but i don't know that one just popped into my mind no one no one really believes in them and but if you watch them play they just do a lot of things well and that lineup is top to bottom just incredible well the comp between those two teams is that they're great and they do it in a different way than everybody else so the warriors kind of invented small ball in the NBA and the Royals I think kind of invented a team that's built on 
solid starting pitching, not great starting pitching, but guys that take the ball, eat innings, and don't lose their team's games. And then they rely on the strength of the team, which is the bullpen, obviously. Um, and then the offense is built around high-contact guys. And they're all kind of similar. Um, they put the ball in play a ton, which, you know, me as a baseball coach, I'm a huge believer in just making contact, hard contact, putting the ball in play. You, got, you don't need to have guys that hit it over the fence every other time to succeed. Obviously, that's, that's a bonus. But in today's brand of baseball, if you have guys that can hit gaps and move runners and run the bases really well, which is something the Royals do, I think you're going to have a ton of success. So they do things in a different way than, you know, teams like the Yankees in the 90s who had all those big boppers. Yeah, so I, I like that comp. Yeah, definitely. It's always refreshing refreshing watching a, a team like that play, too. Um, I know we get caught up a lot, and especially in fantasy. Power, power, power. Let's see you guys hit the ball over the fence. Um, it's refreshing watching a team like that play where everyone does a little bit of everything. Real quick, without spending too much time on it, Indians, White Sox, Tigers, where do you stand on those three teams? Just rank them for me. I think I'm going to go Indians, Tigers, White Sox. Okay. Yeah, the White Sox are a team I struggle with because I like a lot of the pieces they have. Um, I just feel like there's something missing there, and I don't know what it is. It might be Robin Ventura, unfortunately, but you know I like Frazier, Abreu, um, as the cornerstones of the offense. I love Carlos Rodon this year next to Sale. Robertson's outstanding at the back end of the bullpen. I feel like they have enough pieces to win ball games, but there's always just something missing with them. So I think I'll probably have the Indians second and the White Sox third in that in that division behind the Royals, but I'm out on the Tigers this year. I think they're I just not not impressed with what they're doing. I think their window has finally been closed. So, all right, my final bold prediction, little Astros feel to this one. Um, Vincent Velazquez outperforms Lance McCullers this year. So these two guys were were the Astros, you know, top pitching prospects last season. They both saw time in the majors. McCullers had some good success and he's been hyped up this season he's dealing with a little bit of an arm injury right now and they've also kind of talked about a cap on his innings which maybe him starting the year on the DL is actually gonna help that cap because the Astros are another team that expects to be there at the end of the season um, but I like Velasquez I think that in the National League when he doesn't have to face the DH and he gets to face the pitcher, I think his strikeout ratios are going to um, take a boost, which his strikeout rate in the minor leagues was just ridiculous. He was one of the best strikeout pitchers in the minors for the last couple of years. Um, I think that he gets an opportunity with the Phillies just go out there and pitch and see what happens. Um, I like Velazquez. And one thing that's kind of been talked about that I've been hearing some people talk about the last couple of days is like, so everyone thinks Citizens Bank's this great hitter's ballpark, and it is probably more of a hitter's ballpark than a pitcher's ballpark. But how much of the hitting numbers in that ballpark were related to the fact that the Phillies had an outstanding offense in the mid to, mid to late 2000s? Um, so I think Velasquez has the skill set to perform well in Philadelphia. Uh, and I just, I'm not a big believer in Lance McCullers. Haven't been pretty much all through um, his minor league and prospect. I just, I wasn't getting real excited about him. But I like, I like what Velasquez has the opportunity to do in Philly. Yeah, I like this one. Uh, I think I'll take Velasquez over McCullers as well. For, it's all going to depend on if, if the Phillies cut him loose or not. Um, are they going to let him go out there and get enough innings to, to make the difference? Because or does the inning difference between what McCullers is probably going to get in Houston uh, outweigh what Velasquez does in his limited time? Um, obviously, the strikeout ratios for Velasquez are, are off the off the charts, and he's a guy that's going to strike out probably more than a guy in an inning, um, which is just really really great stuff, especially if you can get him for a starting pitcher. So, but an interesting point you just made there about Citizens Bank. I haven't really put much thought into that, but. I mean, you saw guys like Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee dominate pitching in that park, so obviously it can be done. I mean, 
maybe it is the fact that the Phillies just had a lot of good players in their prime at one time and, and putting up some power numbers, Ryan Howard and Chase Utley hitting the ball out of the park and, and guys like that. So I really didn't think about that. So maybe they're, maybe you're on something there. Yeah, we'll see. I agree with the fact that you said it's going to be if the Phillies cut Velasquez loose and let him just throw or if they're put the kid gloves on him and see what happens. I think one thing that could be interesting with Velasquez is I think we said that we're not sure if the Phillies are even that close yet to competing. I think they're maybe three years away until they're a real threat again in the NL East. So maybe they cut Velasquez loose, let him go out there and dominate or pitch well enough that get some other people excited about him, and then maybe they flip him for even more players. Um, you know, I think the trend right now is to kind of hoard young starting pitching, so maybe that goes against that. But I think that, you know, they, they were quick to cut Ken Giles loose at a time where he probably wasn't even at peak value. Um, so I think there may be something to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that that might be a bad idea because I'm pretty high on Velasquez. I think he, he's going to have the capability of being a, a top-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Maybe falls into that that number two starter role, number one kind of guy. I mean, even and I know we both know living in, in the Philadelphia area. I mean, the fans in Philadelphia can be pretty tough. I mean, if you're gonna have a loser for that many times, how often are, they, how long is it gonna be until they're really clamoring, saying, "Hey, we get these guys," and then we're flipping them for for younger guys right away all the time. I mean, it's been what three or four years since we've seen the Philadelphia Phillies succeed. So, I mean, no, it could be a tough town. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what kind of rebuilding process they, they take if they think they have enough guys now that they've gotten or if they're going to continue to do what they've done the last last couple of years. Yeah. The, the other reason I, I like this prediction, Velasquez over McCullers, is I just like NL pitchers better than AL pitchers because of the fact that they get to face one less hitter every time through. So, um, all right, that wraps up my bold predictions. Are you ready to give us yours? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in right here. Um <coughs> My first one, uh, Jake Arrieta, Clayton Kershaw, and Zach Granke were the top three in the NL Cy Young, I believe, last year in voting. None of them will win the NL Cy Young this year. Um, they got to be the three front runners, and I'm not going to have either of those three winning the Cy Young. I don't know if I'm going to make my prediction yet. I think we'll do that in a later piece as far as who I think is going to win it, but I don't know. I think uh, we're going to see someone else jump up to the uh, top of the NL this year. Um, I see guys like we talked about Steven Strasburg. Um, I think he might be up there. We talked. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, I haven't really put much thought into it. Well, you got guys like Scherzer, Bumgarner, um, the Mets guys, Jose Fernandez, who I'm going to guess is your Cy Young candidate pick. But um, we'll, I'm sure we'll get there again, as you said. I like this one, and I almost did a bold prediction on Kershaw. Um, not being in the top five, but I just thought that was stupid. Um, but I, I like this one. There's some, there's some guys in the NL that I'm really excited about. You know, Strasburg. I'd talk about him being one of them. I like Harvey in a big way this year. Garrett Cole is ready to take the next step. Um, you know, everyone forgets about Adam Wainwright. You got Carlos Martinez. There's some pitchers in the NL that. Definitely could jump Kershaw. I think Granke's due for a big regression season. Um, I don't love the fact that he just got a big contract, and I don't love the fact that he's going to Arizona. And then Arietta. I can't wait to see what this guy does this year because I don't know where he came from last year. I know he did some things in 2014 that had some people talking about him, but no one expected what he did last year. So I think that there's major, major regression coming back for this guy. Um, you know, he's hitting his age 30 season. He's another guy that's just chiseled. Like, he just looks like he could rip rip apart at any time throwing. So um, well, I, I like this bold prediction. Interesting you, you bring that up because I was going to give a small two-for-one little shout-out to Eddie Mitchum here. <laughs> two-for-one special on this one. Arietta drops out of the top 10 in NL Cy Young voting this year. Um, I, I'm, I'm right there with you on the regression for him. Um, I feel like last year was an aberration. Everything just kind of fell into place for this guy. Um, not saying he's going to have a terrible year, but 
I don't know. I, I think last year was just just something incredible that everything kind of worked out for this guy. I think he's going to big drop off this season. You kind of saw it in the postseason. He went on that ridiculous run the second half. Postseason, the Met, the Cubs start throwing him out there on three days rest, and he just start cl- started catching more of the plate with his fastballs. I mean, this guy had, like, Greg Maddox control with John Smoltz stuff, and it was, like, ridiculous to watch him throw. I mean, he's painting at 96 miles an hour on the, on the, on the black, and it's impossible to hit that um, when you're shooting these. And I, just, I can't see him doing that again. I don't know. Um, it's amazing to me that the Orioles traded him for, I think, Steve Clevenger. Um, it's just the Orioles continue to make excruciating decisions with starting pitchers. Not saying that, you know, they thought Arietta would be this. Obviously, they wouldn't have traded him for Clevenger if they did, but he's still even... With some regression, he's a much better piece than anything Baltimore has in their rotation. So, um, but I do like this one. I, I like that bold prediction. Just, just so I can be on the record, I am not with you on the Kershaw out of the top five. <laughs> uh, I got burned on a Kershaw versus Strasburg deal with Kyle last year. Uh, Kyle won, obviously. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna hop on that bandwagon. Well, here's the thing. I, I didn't, I didn't do that bold prediction for a reason. I mean, if I wanted to get super bold, I could have put it out there, but. This guy's going to regress at some point, right? Like, th- this can't keep happening. He can't keep being the guy that he's been forever. I mean, we've seen guys like Roy Halladay and King Felix and Verlander spend their time at the top of the pitching market. They get these massive long-term deals from teams, and they're, they're starting pitchers. They're go- things fluctuate with a guy doing that throwing motion for 200-plus innings every year, and I think that he's going to wear down at some point. I'm just trying to get on the front end of that curve and not the back end. <laughs> I think I'm going to ride that baby till it, till it, uh, okay. till it bucks me. That's so, fine. I mean, this guy, is, this guy is just too incredible for me to bet against. I mean, I'll go down I'll go down uh, in flames on that one. Okay. All right, I'll hop over to the American League here for one uh, you could probably knew was coming. Um, Jose Abreu will win the American League MVP award. Um, I was in on the Abreu train last year. I think this was my pick for MVP last year. I'm going to hop right back on this year. Um, I'm just a huge Abreu fan. Um, obviously, this is pretty bold considering Mike Trout plays in the American League. Um, obviously, he's got to be the front runner for, for MVP. Yeah. Um, I just think Abreu is going to get back to what he did two years ago. I mean, uh, I'm seeing a lot of home runs and, and over 300 for this guy. And if Mike Trout isn't up to the ability he's shown the last couple years, maybe he doesn't have his, his best year, uh, I think Abreu can slide right in there. I, I think I think Abreu was a little hurt last year. Um, I think there were some, some lingering issues, and if he can stay healthy and, and play the full slate this year, uh, I like a guy that's going to hit over 300 and maybe a chance at 40, 45 bombs. All right, so last year he, he did play 154 games, but I agree. he I think he labored through some of those 154. He puts up 30 homers, 101 RBIs. 88 runs scored, 290 average. Um, some might call it a disappointing season for him coming off his rookie year where he hit 317 with a 383 OBP, which is just ridiculous. Um, 36 homers, 107 RBIs. Um, the White Sox were just a bad situation to be a part of last year. I think that Abreu's due for a little bit of an uptick. He's still only in his age 29 season. Um, there's some guys in the American League I like better than him. You know, Machado, I think he could have a better season than him. I like the Orioles a lot this year. Um, Josh Donaldson, and obviously we talked about Trout, and, you know, Chris Davis is always a guy that I could see putting up better numbers than Abreu, but. Um, you know, th- this could happen. He's the best player on a, a decent team. So I could see him being the MVP. Um, yeah, I-, I-, I could get behind this one. I hope he is. He's on my team, obviously. We talked about that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. There's obviously a couple things that, that concern me with this one. This one's a little out on a whim because he doesn't steal bases, so he's <clears> not going to help you there. Um, and it seems like when, when people are looking for MVP voting, they like guys that do a little bit of everything. Um, 
and also the fact that I, I just said that I took the White Sox to, to finish, I think, fourth in their division. Um, you don't see a lot of guys winning the MVP on, on teams that, that aren't good. So it's going to take a season where, where his team plays well. Obviously, they're going to have to be in contention and, and do well. I, I just think that we're going to see a, a big year from Abreu. Um, strikeouts are also a concern for him. Um, does strike out a little bit. Um, he's got to cut down on that if he wants to be in the MVP consideration. But I, I can see the guy hitting hitting 310 with, with 40 home runs, and that's got to got to keep you up there. Well, that's what I wanted to say about Abreu. If I had one wish for him, it would be more plate discipline. He's definitely a free swinger. He's got the Cuban mentality at the plate. Um, you've seen a lot of these guys come over, and they just want to hack away at everything. And he does have a little bit of Vlad Guerrero in him where he, he's a good bad ball hitter. But I wonder if he made pitchers come in the zone more, how many more homers he could hit. Um, so I think plate discipline could do him some real wonders. Um, some of his bad ball singles could become walks or, like I said, later in the count, making guys come back into the zone and maybe he turns those into doubles and home runs. So that would be my one knock against Abreu. Um, but in what I think is a, a watered-down first-base position this year, I'm excited to have him. So, yeah, I, I like that one too. All right, my next one. Obviously, I've been I've been talking talking this guy up for a while with you. Um, Chris Bryant hits 50 home runs this year. Um, obviously, the bold part is, is the 50. 50 is a huge total. We don't see it a lot anymore in the major leagues. Guys getting that high. Um, uh, the power potential here is just tremendous. He had what was kind of a disappointing season last year, 26 home runs, um, if you can call that disappointing, for all the hype that he came with uh, out of the minor leagues, all the talk in the beginning of the year, when were the Cubs going to bring him up? Um, 26 is probably a little low for expectations. Uh, I think this year is going to be the year that he breaks out. Um, I really I really think this is a special kid, and I'm really high on Brian, obviously, and I, I I think that there's a shot that he maybe gets to 50. So there's a, there's a K-rate issue there, too. Obviously, he strikes out a ton. Um, that maybe cuts into this projection a little bit. But we've seen guys like Chris Davis come close to 50 and even hit 50 with big strikeout rates. So, um, you know, it's not that big of a concern, I guess. The, the white tower power is there. I mean, this guy is incredible to watch. I would love to watch him take batting practice and just see what the ball what the ball sounds like coming off the bat. Um, I like this one too. I think fifty is steep, but I think if you would just tailor it a little bit and said you said Chris Chris Bryant would lead the NL in home runs or to lead the majors in home runs, that might be better. Like you said, it's the fifty number that makes this bold because. We don't see 50 home runs. I mean, there's only a few guys that are even 50 home run candidates in baseball. And they would be, in my mind, Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, Chris Davis. <clears throat> yeah, Chris Davis. Chris Bryant. And I'll give an outside shot to Arenado as a potential 50 home run guy just playing in cores. Hits 42 last year. Um, he's still young. Arenado's only in his um, age 24 season, so there's some serious power pop there. And then maybe a guy like Miguel Sano. I don't know. He's got big-time power. So, yeah, there's very few guys that have that ability to get close to that 50 number now in baseball. Um, I guess we'd have to throw Trout in there, too, maybe. You know, yeah. <laughs> if we're going to talk about those other guys, Trout. Trout's power is, I think underrated um so yeah that that's interesting uh, i'm glad that we have brian on the team together yeah the reason i went with 50 is i mean obviously we're doing bold predictions so i mean if i go if i go chris bryant's only going to hit 40 i mean i think everyone could see that happening um if i say he leads the nl i think everyone can see that happening i mean the 50 number is kind of like the magical number <clears throat> in baseball i think it used to be 60 can you get to 60 back in the in, in the steroid era now it's if you get to 50, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge deal in Major League Baseball today. So, um, do I do I 100% think he's getting there? No way. I mean, it's just too hard nowadays with the state of the, the pitching in the Major Leagues. But uh, I certainly feel like, just like we talked about, he's one of the guys that, that could do it. So, we'll see. Yeah, I like that one. Um, my next one here, I think we'll have some good conversation here. I wish Kyle was here for this one. 
Um, obviously, a lot of talk between the deal I made with him last year. Obviously, I've taken some flack. Bryce Harper will not hit 300 this season or hit 30 home runs. Um, I'm down on Harper. Obviously, I kind of have to be the way I traded him away last year. Um, I don't think that this is by any means that Harper isn't a great player because I think he is. Um, he's just a guy that, I don't know, I, I feel like last year was a little, just everything kind of fell into place for him. Um, I think everyone's a little too high on this guy and the expectations are sky high. I think the bolder part of this is 30 home runs. Um, I just threw that in kind of as a, as a filler, maybe to make it real excessive. But I think the 300 is definitely a real possibility. He, he's never a guy early in his career that's shown that he, he's a 300 hitter. And I think, what he hit last year, 330-something? 330. Uh, I, I don't think that he's a 330 hitter. Um, I really don't. I, I think he's more of a 280 to 290 hitter. Um, I, I think the 330 last year was, was excessive. I, I've seen a lot of things saying that he's going to win the Triple Crown this year, and I, I think the batting average is, is not going to be there to do that those kinds of things. So. All right, so yeah, the bold part's the 30 home runs. That That's, I think, absurd. I think that... He's a lock for 30 home runs. Um, the batting average, if he hits 299, you win. But I think you're still happy if he hits 299. Um, so, I'm looking at his numbers. 460 OBP last year. That is crazy. So good. Um, I'm huge on Harper this year. I'd still have Trout ahead of him. If I, was, if I had the number one overall pick in a redraft league, I would still take Trout first. Um, but I think Harper is right there with him. And I think he's the best bet to win the National League MVP. So um, I think he still has a great season. I promised you at the beginning that I was going to have one that, that was a little off the wall, and this was my one that uh, I figured was was very, very bold. Um, seems like everyone is high on Harper. I mean, it's hard not to be. I just wanted to throw one in there for, for a little bit of fun. Obviously, chances are the guy's going to hit 30 home runs. But I don't know. There's been injury concern in the past. There, uh, he hasn't he hasn't been the healthiest guy all the time. He, he kind of plays hard and, and runs himself into some injuries sometimes. So if he hasn't played the, the full slate, I mean, I just thought it was a possibility. So Yeah, I'll, I'll speak for Kyle since he's not here. Bryce Harper is the best player in baseball, and he's on my team. I think that's what <laughs> Kyle would say. So, um, Kyle, shout out to you. Wish you were here with us. I'll defend Bryce Harper for you since you're not. And I know we were trying to stay with just players here, but my last one, I'm gonna kind of kind of pat you on the back here, and I'm gonna say that the Chicago Cubs will not win the National League Central because the St. Louis Cardinals will. Um, I do think the Cubs will get a wild card spot, and I think that speaks to, I think the the National League is, is pretty down. Um, I don't see more than one team coming out of the East, so that leaves the West and the Central for those other wild card spots. Um, I think the Cardinals are going to win the division. Um, everyone's high on the Cubs. I've heard stories they're going to win 110 games this year. They're they're going to be such a great team. Uh, I still think they got some work to do. I think I think it takes a little longer than they think to just put all this all these talented players together and and be successful i think that the cardinals have just the leadership that they have is is a lot better than than what the the cubs have and i think it's gonna it's gonna show throughout the course of a long season uh i, th I think you actually might be on the same page as me here um I, all right so i have a long drive to work in the morning i drive almost an hour to work every day and i spent some time this week just thinking about the cardinals um, driving in and I don't know where I stand with this team yet obviously haven't seen them play um, any real baseball games yet so haven't had a chance to really go out and say how I feel about the Cardinals right now um, if gun to my head I had to pick today I would pick the Cubs to win the National League Central um, that being said, I think this season could go really well for the Cardinals, or I think this could be the start of a real slow decline for them. Um, I could even see them missing the playoffs. I'm worried about the offense. 
Um, I'm worried about Matt Holiday. I'm worried about the first base situation. Worried about Peralta being out for a long time. Worried about Molina holding up for the course of the season. But I'm excited about guys like Matt Carpenter, Randall Grichuk, Stephen Piscotty, um, Colton Wong. I'm even happy that they signed Ruben Tejada. Love the pitching staff. Excited to see Mike Leake in a Cardinals uniform this year. I think he just fits with what the Cardinals do. Um, excited for a full season of Wayno, hopefully. Um, but I don't know. I just think that they, they're lacking one or two pieces. And I wish they would have opened up the checkbook a little more, got a little more creative to get a guy like Hayward, who I think really fit well with the Cardinals last season. So, I don't know. Like I said, if I, if I had to pick today, I'd probably pick the Cubs with the Cardinals getting a wild card. Um, but I think the bigger thing in the National League Central is that a lot of people are sleeping on the Pirates. Actually, and they, they did host they did host the wild card game last year. Um, and I think they would have won any other division in baseball if they hadn't been the National League Central last year. They're still a really good team. Um, so I think people are sleeping on the Pirates and they shouldn't be. That That's my comment on the National League Central right now. Yeah, I actually think... Uh that the Central gets three teams in again. I think the Pirates are in there as well. Um, I actually was thinking of tinkering with the Cubs won't make the playoffs in my bull prediction, but I don't know if I can go that far right now. Um, for me, it comes down to some teams just know how to win, and the Cardinals just, they've been so successful. They know how to win. They know how to maneuver themselves through a season. Um, they have the veteran guys on that team with Wainwright, with Molina, with Holiday, that – they can just breed the young guys and, and kind of show them the ropes of how it needs to be done. And I, I don't know that the Cubs have that. I think they've made some moves to kind of get those kind of guys on their team. You pick up a guy like John Lackey. You have Lester. You have a guy like you bring in Hayward, who's, who's been through the ropes a little bit now, that can kind of show these young guys the way. But I, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for having a guy like Yadier Molina on your team, um, having a guy like Adam Wainwright. And I don't know. Every year, it, it seems like they're you want to be you want to find what's new and what's hot. And the, the Cubs are that team this year. And I still think it's just going to be the old guard. And the Cardinals are just that pesky team that they they figure out different ways to win. I, I don't know. The the one thing the Cubs do have is Joe Madden. Um, you know, I think he brings a presence himself. He's the best manager in baseball. I think. Um, my my question for you, if you have the Pirates potentially getting in the wild card spot. Who do you have out of the West between the Giants and Dodgers? I think you're with me that you're not in on the Diamondbacks. I'm not in on the Diamondbacks. <laughs> um, we, we spoke about that. Yeah, yet. but I want to know who you think wins the West then. I actually don't know. It's going to come down to the Giants or Dodgers for me. Um, I know tw 2016, everyone's talking Giants. is an even year. Um, I don't know, though. Uh I think that's going to be a really entertaining race between the Dodgers and Giants. I think if I had to pick right now, I'd go San Francisco. Um, too many question marks for me in Los Angeles, I feel like. But the pitching staff, I think, is, is what's going to separate those two teams. Yeah, I like the Giants as well. I'd, I'd have them winning the National League West today. Um, the Dodgers have some concerns at the back end of their rotation and also some concerns with their position players. Justin Turner's a little banged up. Jock Peterson, no idea what he's going to bring. Ethier is out 10 to 14 weeks. I thought that he was a really underrated player last year for the Dodgers. Um, and then I'm not sold on Corey Seager yet either. I need to see that happen for a little bit. So I'm definitely going to have the Dodgers in the running for that second wild card spot. Um, but we'll see. I'm, I might actually have the Cardinals out of the playoffs this year as a when my, when my predictions come out. So, we'll see. That, uh, that's all I had for you, big guy. Alright. Um, those were 13, I think, pretty bold predictions. We'll have to check in with them around the All-Star break to see which ones have a shot here. And then, obviously, at the end of the season, we'll follow up with these and see who was right and who was wrong. Um, but I thought that was a little fun exercise. So, um, here we are. I think 10 days away from opening day. I'm excited. Can't wait 
for baseball to get started. Um, I think it's Sunday night, next Sunday night. So um, just looking forward to seeing that first pitch get thrown and um, the start of what should be a great six months here. So anything else you got? No, it's just it's just getting really exciting now. The anticipation's here. Most teams have, have you've drafted your fantasy team already. I mean, just getting ready for the season to start. I mean, it, people already making moves in our leagues, uh, dropping some guys they drafted, picking up guys, picking up new guys. Um, things are starting to get set into motion. I know we're gonna have one more draft on Monday night. Me and you together, we're doing a new league that we haven't done before. Um, we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll recap that or something. Um, but yeah, it's just real exciting. The anticipation, anticipation's building here. Obviously, excited for the season to start. Yep, uh, Kyle, shout out to you. Hope you can join us on the next one. And thanks for listening, guys. Remember, we're on Twitter at Red Triangle 23 and the podcast Red Triangle Sports on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.